Welcome to the Rev Engine Podcast, where we help B2B CEOs and revenue leaders get clarity on how to align sales and marketing, build a high performing revenue engine, and accelerate revenue growth for their organizations. I'm your host, Jeff Davis, author of award winning book Create Togetherness, and founder of Rev Engine. Let's jump into the show. Hey, everybody, it is Jeff Davis with another episode of the Rev Engine podcast, where we help B2B CEOs and revenue leaders align sales and marketing, transform their revenue engine, and accelerate revenue growth. I am very excited to have our guest on today, who is Dan Silly. He's a CEO of Vendor Neutral. I'm going to tell you a little bit of backstory about how we met because we've known each other for years uh, here and there. We'll get into that, but I want to give him a chance to introduce himself and uh, tell how he got to where he is. And then we'll kind of dive into kind of how we know each other because uh, I think the story is interesting and then we'll get to the content. So with that said, Dan, take it away. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you for the opportunity. Quite extensive as it relates to the, the use in, of technology. I had a previous organization before Vendor Neutral. It was called Telemaximum. It was 22 plus year organization surrounding, you know, originally brick and mortar contact center development. Within the last, you know, 10 years, it really started to evolve into the tech stack, you know, hybrid working environment, hybrid call centers. People didn't need to be in the office anymore and they could actually work from home and could have the same or similar result. I realized that tech really was driving the future. From that, I began Vendor Neutral. So Vendor Neutral started in 2017, came incorporated in 2018, and we've been growing ever since. So we have over 80 companies globally as clients, and we work um, to help them clear the fog surrounding their sales technology identification, selection, integration, onboarding and adoption, and then also the long-term ROI so that they can achieve not only their business goals, but their financial goals. Yeah. And just for those, Dan was actually on the my original podcast, the Alignment Podcast, actually one of my first guests. And I have to say without a doubt, it was one of the, the more popular episodes. And I learned a ton from you in that in that short episode. So I wanted to continue our relationship and we've you know, kind of seen each other here and there, Sales Enablement Society, some other events, that sort of thing. So I think as we kind of dive into our conversation today, people are going to to really take away a lot of actionable insights. I think in addition to that, I want you to share a story about the previous podcast and kind of how, how that kind of turned into an opportunity for you. It's one of my favorite stories, so I have no problem telling it. It's, uh, <laughs> you know, Jeff and I uh, met, you know, we've known each other for a long time. We've, we, we met years ago. I think it was actually American Association of Inside Sales Professionals. I even think so. Before, yeah. yeah, even before the Sales Enablement Society uh, was even concept. <laughs> It's been great, you know, following you and, and getting to know you. And and I was on that podcast. I think it, we're dating ourselves, but that was about four years ago. And we'd have to talk you know, numbers. From, <laughs> <laughs> and, and from that, <laughs> and from that effort, we actually were we were identified by our largest client. Uh, it's a twenty-five billion dollar organization, a global organization. And since that point, you know, it started off. Simple enough, well, they were looking to, for help surrounding a tech selection, which often is the reason why a lot of organizations were engaging with us back then. Things have evolved around technology stack. It's not as all about tech selection anymore. But the reason we did was tech selection. And from that effort, we have landed and expanded over the last four years. And we're in 10 or 15 business units um, on and off. And we're helping them not only with their tech selection, but their process development, sales playbooks, 
the integration of these resources, the onboarding and adoption of these resources. And then, like I said, the long-term ROI surrounding them. So we're always kind of resetting with this client to kind of, you know, refocus them to re-engage on that strategy, on that ecosystem. So it's just been a tremendous relationship and very valuable to our organization. And the first client out of that 80 that we currently have. Yeah. And so I am a so thankful that you shared that with me, you know, beyond like the whole like endorsement and making me feel cool a little bit because we, you know, we helped somebody get a client. I think it really helped validate the work that I'm so passionate about of having this conversation around sales marketing alignment and how we do it differently and better. And, you know, sometimes you get into like the slog of things and, you know, and at that time for that podcast, I literally was doing everything myself. So it was a ton of work. And so it, it just kind of validated that I should continue this work and that there was value in what we we're creating. So I thank you for that. And it was really a really cool story to share. The other thing I was going to tell you is the reason I wanted to have you on the show, amongst other things, of course, is I love the work that Vendor Neutral was doing. You know, I have tried to, as much as possible for with this platform, been as neutral as possible, letting people understand what are the frameworks you should be thinking? How do you look at aligning sales and marketing? But not necessarily saying you have to use this product. I mean, you talk about product categories, of course. And so when you started Vendor Neutral, I was like, that's a genius idea. And of course, Dan started it because I can talk about it, but like he knows how to actually execute on it. Again, I love the work you're doing. I think it's really necessary because this tends to be a quagmire for a lot of revenue leaders of like what platforms and how do we do this and how do we assess? How do we do all that sort of stuff? Again, I think your work is extremely valuable and yeah, kudos to you and the team. Thank you. Now we are truly vendor neutral. We don't align with any vendors kind of uh, consultants or service providers, except as part of our ecosystem. When it comes to uh, delivering for our clients, uh, we do bring in the subject matter experts, you know, around certain technologies, around certain capabilities, especially process and playbook development. We don't want to pretend to do everything perfectly because we can't, but we want to have access to the, the right resources when we need them. And so that's why our ecosystem is so important. And that's why our clients really depend on us because they know we're not going to talk vendor and they know we're going to be focused on their needs, their goals, their objectives long before we make any tech recommendations. Tech is actually the last step in the process. Yeah, which in most cases it probably should be. So let's start with this question, which I know you're going to have a POV on. Why do most digital transformation uh, initiatives fail? Well, we often see that, you know, even if everyone is working at capacity, more often something is still not clicking for an organization. But before we blame tech or the tech stack or lack thereof, we need to take a step back. You know, our relationship with over 80 organizations globally, you know, has really taught us a lot. And one of those things is too many internal teams are busy talking, but they're not communicating with each other. This matters because poor communication produces silos within those organizations. And that's generally what we're we're dealing with, right, is this separations within the organizations. Now, 50% of organizations report customer experience operations are managed in silos, and only 33% of the customer experience professionals that work within those groups are actively communicating or collaborating with each other across the organization. So we like to bring transparency to that quickly as possible. There is too much tech filling up the sales tech stack and distracting users in their workflows. It has a piece of technology that's not clearly aligned to their workflow, you know, and they actually go to leverage it. It's often takes 
weeks, <laughs> not just say weeks, it's hours to come back to their workflow. And that's really disruptive because, you know, an eight hour workday can be diminished quite quickly and their results are also uh, reflective of that. There is one organization that I can sometimes reference when I'm asked this question. Uh, I'm not going to call them out because they wouldn't be happy about that. But after we audited a large enterprise, about a $5 billion organization, a global IT infrastructure company, we found that they could reduce their tech stack by over 200 pieces of technology. And this is an actual 80% savings surrounding their investment in technology. So we were talking over a million dollars a year in spend that they didn't have to think about anymore. And they could apply to their sales folks, to their marketing staff. It's so important, especially today in today's economy, that organizations think about their tech stack, you know, as part of that ideal workflow, as part of their organization's business process. You know, if they're not, if the technology that's in it is shelfware and it's not actually being used, Take that budget, keep the sales rep on board, keep that marketing professional on board. No need to lay them off. Cut the tech first. Yeah. And you bring up a really good point that I talk about a lot is this whole idea of auditing the revenue tech stack. Because when you are operating in silos and the sales and marketing leader are buying new software and tech and that sort of thing, but not communicating, you many times are buying duplicative or, or even worse platforms that don't integrate and don't talk. It is imperative that we sit down for two seconds and say, like, what are you operating with? What are you operating with? And see where there's there's opportunities to just get rid of stuff or integrate stuff or what whatever it is. But I see it all the time where, you know, marketing platforms don't talk to sales platforms or the data is not pulling from the same data lake, whatever that is. And it, it just it, it destroys productivity. I think it was InsideSales.com uh, years ago, and I know they've rebranded to Zant, talked about the fact like a third uh, the salesperson's time is actually focused on selling, and that may have gotten worse. And a lot of that is related to them having to do things that are non-revenue generating. So I'm glad you brought that up. No, I was going to say, you know, if text interrupts or it lengthens or confuses the workflow, it's time to evaluate and see if it's really does or brings the value that your teams and organizations need. It's not a quick fix, but if you really want to truly transform your business uh, through technology, you need to align to Process, process, process. I have an, an equation we use, and uh, I share this sometimes in social media and, some, and a lot with our clients. New tech plus old process equals expensive old process. You know, you have to really think ahead and think about what technology is actually going to move that needle. Do you find that most sales leaders are thinking about their seller's workflow when they are looking at new technology? Uh, no. Often technology is evaluated because of a need. They, you know, they're trying to address one issue, one concern. And more often than not, it happens at the end user level where independently have their own workflow and they think there's this piece of tech that can revolutionize it. So they go out and they spend their expense account on a new piece of tech where they ask their manager to spend their budget. And it just ends up not really making an impact. It's especially because it's not an integrated part of that workflow, that evaluation, that audit wasn't done to make sure it would make an impact and become shelfware 
And that's why you see that scaling of costs around technology. That's why that 80% opportunity to reduce was there for that client was because throughout all these siloed parts of their organization, they they just kept acquiring and acquiring and acquiring. And it's pretty quickly to figure it out. And it's easy to identify. And actually, sometimes in 40 to 60 days with our clients, we can identify those costs, those that budget that's out of control, and we can help them reduce it. And well, it's a good thing for us because, you know, it's a 10x ROI more often, sometimes even a hundred, sometimes even a thousand X ROI compared to the investment they make in our our capabilities. Do you find or do you agree that many times those components in the tech stack are, can silently kill a revenue? Like they can sit in there. I've, I've heard people not even knowing that certain platforms exist or they exist, but we're not using them. And it just be kind of, you, they kind of become like the furniture. Like you're just so used to them being there, like no one thinks about it. But the fact that you're paying for licenses is literally costing you money. Is that, you know, would you agree with that kind of way of thinking about it? Oh, 100%. And if you are going to acquire the tech and you actually do see a business value, it, I think it comes down to much more about onboarding and how what, a, what that strategic approach really looks like. It needs to be a plan from the ground level building of an ecosystem around technology. It takes teams that it takes teams forward within the tech toward a clear goal. And this is not often possible within the limits of the vendors who are selling this technology because, you know, a, a vendor sells a great customer success strategy. They always promote it as one of their great attributes, but they're not profitable unless they've completed that customer success strategy and you're off and running with that technology. So some vendors are awesome, right? Some vendors just stick around. They become partners with the organizations that they're selling their technology to. But more often, these one-off tech acquisitions are generally done in silos and they're, you know, the tech just sits there unused or it's used for a short period of time and then becomes costly. And because of the structure of the way it's sold, it's an automatic renewal year after year and people just lose track you have to find a solution for expanding and amplifying the onboarding effort. So you have to be able to scale where the vendor leaves off. So the great thing about these vendors is very often they have knowledge bases. They have, they sometimes call it a university. They have recorded videos that they did with your team. So if you have a learning and development team, or you can even outsource and or a trainer or a coach, bring them in, right? Bring them in and have them amplify that customer success effort that where the vendor left off, you know, have them adapt it to the learning capabilities of your team and the styles, the learning styles of your team as well, because that's what's going to drive success. That's going to drive long-term adoption and use. And if you can align that to their workflow and processes as well, you know, the reps are going to see value right out of the gate and they're going to want to use the technology. And the final piece there around that adoption is the best practices that the reps have achieved through using the technology. Don't keep it a secret. Hide, don't hide the information from the rest of the organization. <laughs> Get out there, tell them, tell your, tell their peers that they are successful. And that's why gamification actually can be very great strategy sometimes because showcase the fact that somebody made a difference using a piece of technology, found that next great opportunity using a technology, manage 
a customer-centric relationship using that technology. So instead of adding technology to solve existing crises, you, you have to start learning, understanding how technology at its core can be part of your business model. And that it really speaks to what you think about in operationally, Jeff, is you know marketing, social media, sales, operations, how all these groups work together, how all these pieces of your company work together. They need to be part of a holistic strategy, a sales technology ecosystem that's interconnected across the organization. And that's a great, great segue to my next question, I think is many times overlooked. So we've chosen the right technology, just assume we're there, but we don't get people to change their approach, their work style. So I've been talking about for quite some time, this this idea and concept of digital first selling. And really it's kind of transforming the way in which we sell to connect with the modern buyer, the ways that in which we were able to gate information and buyers were dependent on us as sellers to get that information. So I want to get your idea, your thoughts on how as a sales leader, can I actually adapt my culture so that people really actually start to use those tools and become comfortable with technology and that sort of thing? Because, you know, otherwise it's just going to sit there. Well, it, it comes down to communication. The culture of your organization is a top-down and top-down, bottom-up approach. If your leadership isn't aware, if you're not transparent, with them on what goals you're trying to achieve through technology. Because often the decisions around tech don't start at the top. They're generally driven from the bottom up because of a demand or a need from the sales or marketing team to achieve their goals. So the middle management, they understand it and they're reactive. And so rather than being proactive and reaching out to senior leadership and conducting what we call our sales technology or um, stakeholder audit, you're going to struggle because if you don't have a clear understanding, processes that already exist within um, these stakeholders' organizations, if you don't have a clear understanding of the data and the insights they need to make effective business decisions, and then also uh, don't have a clear understanding of the capabilities or lack of capabilities within their organizations, because very often, you know, they, they may acquire technology that requires a lot of support, right? It requires marketing to write content, requires operations to be, you know, have an admin being very proactive on the sequencing and so on and so forth. So without those capabilities in place, without the staff understanding, you know, the true value and being able to apply these resources effectively, it's going to be a struggle. And it's actually more often than not, it's a failure right at the starting line for a lot of these technologies because they, they're sold on the premise of it making such a difference. But the, the reality is, is that without the right process, without that analysis, without fully defining, you know, the insights, the data, leadership needs to make decisions. And then that full understanding of the process, and when I call that a sales playbook more often than not, and how that aligns to the company's success. So we recommend more often than not to our clients that they audit not only their top performers, and again, that's top 10, top 20% of their sales rep, because honestly, they know better than anybody in the company because they sell and they sell successfully. How do they do it? 
Why are they successful? What tech do they maybe use? Because very often a lot of those top performers have their own tech stack and it's good to learn from them what that means. Um, the second group that's equally as important is the top 10, 20% of your customers. What do they need, right? What are they looking for from you and your organization to help them be successful? Align that to those top performing sales reps. Then you've got, got a, a magic sauce. You've got a recipe for success. You really do. Because now you can transform that into a sales process that's actually going to be supported by and aligned to technology. Without that, techno and again, as we talked about before, technology that takes you out of that strategy is never going to help you be successful. You know, you made me reflect back on my early career in sales when I was actually carrying a bag. For those that don't know, I started my career in healthcare sales. And one of the things I think about, and I'm probably very much dating myself, is this idea of having a cross-channel conversation with buyers and or prospects. And we just really didn't have to do that back in the day, right? That you were able to, I mean, you use multiple channels, but you didn't necessarily like today have to stitch this conversation and make it holistic across channels. Have you seen organizations successfully use playbooks to help reps do this? Because I can see that as a challenge of, okay, I understand how to use these technologies. That's one thing, but can I have a holistic conversation across multiple channels with the buyer? What have you seen when organizations are trying to, to help sellers be able to actually communicate cross channel? Well, I think organizations that sell into the channel, you know, they're not unique. It's actually a very common practice is to sell through a channel, but it comes down to the, the same model that you would leverage to understand your own organization's sales strategy is you got to bring those players in. You know, so we talked about that top 10% of your sales folks, top 10% of the customers, you know, another customer is that channel, right? Are the partners that you are leveraging to promote and to sell your solution beyond your core or in-house sales team. And you really need to educate them as much as possible. You need to keep them in the loop. The trans Your transparency is essential. Sometimes our clients will say, don't show the partners, you know, what we're doing. They're going to want more of it. I'm like, well, <laughs> that's not a bad thing. You know, they want more of it because they know it's going to help them move the needle. That's going to, they know it's going to be, they're going to be more effective in selling your solution. Don't keep it a secret. Don't keep it in house. Share the knowledge, share the experience, share that partnership, that opportunity for partnership, you know, align, 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 be transparent showcase results. You have to sometimes change the way you approach because, again, the channel may not have the same access that your team has, right? So often your team has office access to a knowledge base, uh, a lot of content, a lot of resources, and the channel has a unique, a unique capability and a unique level of access sometimes. So we have to make sure that they are equal and that the channel and your internal team have the same resources, have the same capability at the end of the day. That makes sense. So kind of going back to this idea of this revenue tech stack, because I want to make sure I get I get all of this out of you <laughs> during our conversation. So without sharing your secret sauce, if a marketing leader and a sales leader have come together and say, you know, we, we think we have an opportunity to kind of audit our tech and we want to make sure that we're more aligned with what they're exploring, consolidating systems, et cetera, et cetera. What are kind of the high level steps they need to go through in, art in order to conduct this type of audit to figure out where the opportunities exist, where they can change things? How, do, how, do, how should they be thinking about that process? Well, more often than not, you know, the uh, 
fragmentation or the the chasm between sales and marketing, it really comes down to a lack of confidence on both sides, right? So marketing more often than not wants to rely on the sales team for good data, right? So again, CRM, right? Been around for a long time. <laughs> Terrible adoption, <laughs> terrible use. <laughs> And you mean no one's using the CRM? What are you talking oh, about? Oh, God, no. Geez, Absurdity. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not helping anybody. So, you know, when managers say it's got to be in the CRM if you're going to get paid, well, you know what? At the end of the day, your sales reps are going to put it in the CRM. They're going to put it as close one opportunity. And that's all the data you're going to get. So what about all the prospects? What about all the contacts that, that exist within that prospecting strategy? So very often, you know, marketing depends on quality data, right? So they depend on good contact information, good account detail. If you want them to produce a marketing qualified lead that turns into a sales qualified lead, you better make sure you give them the resources they need to prospect for you, to market for you, to detail out your capabilities, because at the end of the day, they need that data. So it also the other side of the spectrum, salespeople are aggravated by the quality of those leads, right? So they stomp their feet. They say to their manager, these leads, I could use another word, but- It's not really um, the language they yeah. use, but we'll, we'll, we'll keep it PG. <laughs> I'm being very delicate here. Um, yeah, I know, um, right? Yeah, but these leads stink and we're not getting what we want. You know, marketing's worthless or a white elephant is no value in mar in our marketing team. Well, the fact is, is if you were providing them the data they needed, the insights they needed around your prospects, they could be far more successful. That's where their capability lies. Your capability in sales lies in that customer engagement, direct qualification or disqualification of that customer. And the marketing team wants to enable that. So when they're funneling a hundred leads from trade shows and out, outbound marketing and form fills and everything into your, into your daily funnel. They're doing that as quickly as they can. It's really your job in sales as well to take action, right? Not to sit on your hands when a trade show occurred two or three days ago, but to actually take those whatever hundred leads and work them work them hard, you know, qualify them. They're probably, you know, because they came from a trade show or conference, they're probably the better qualified, you know, the best information you're going to get because it's coming right from the conference data. And so you have a lot le higher level of confidence as a sales professional to see success and opportunity to see success. At the end of the day, those are some of the areas that they can get the greatest return on their investment. But our sales staff just takes their time sometimes in addressing those leads which is not helping anybody at all. Yeah. And I don't know who, who coined this, but time kills deals. I totally stole that from somebody. It's not me, but it's so true. So question for you. I'm curious, who stereotypically in an organization is reaching out to you and vendor neutral for help or to start a conversation? Well, we generally work with all types of companies. Our website is just wealth of free information. So we have under our uh, learning library on our website, there is hundreds of blogs, webinars, I think it's like 74 webinars over the last few years, podcasts, you name it, all free. At, so the SMB, the small mid-size organization can, you know, approach it, it through a DIY model. Feel free. I want you to learn. I want you to take away what you need to, to make the effective business decisions you need. But as your organization, as these organizations get larger and we get into large mid-market, small enterprise, large enterprise, it's a much bigger lift. 
it's a much more complicated strategy. Generally, our primary or ICP, primary contact or ideal customer profile, is a senior leader. They are SVPs of sales, marketing, operations. They are C-level many times at the mid, large mid-market. At the enterprise level, you know, they may even hire innovation experts. They may be hiring, you know, business analysts that are helping them grow and be more successful. So we engage with a lot of different personas. Normally, it ends up being senior leadership that starts the conversation. So and the reason I asked that question, because I was just curious of who in the organization was kind of the either the champion or the catalyst for this sort of conversation. So it sounds like in many cases, it is above the sales and marketing leader and really is senior leadership that recognizes there's a disconnect or a dysfunctional uh, way of doing business and there's opportunities that we can unlock if we're looking at things differently. Yeah, it's hard sometimes for us. It's sometimes hard for us because we have to educate, right? So a lot of people don't know what we do. They don't have a clue. They don't understand what vendor neutral is. We're doing a better job. And through these types of efforts, we're able to educate even further. But it's hard to to explain that there are a number of steps prior to acquiring technology. There's a number of steps around process and and fully defining that process and workflow and how that integrates with sales, operations, and marketing, how those teams are effectively working together on a daily basis. They can't work in silos. They There has to be transparency. There has to be an ongoing communication. And when things work, talk about it. Share the why, the how. You know, that's what's going to keep people motivated. That's what's going to drive continuous success. Yeah, I love that. So to close out our conversation, I want to ask this question. So you have an organization, they've committed to digital transformation, they may be early in their journey, and they are just confused about what type of technology they need to adopt. What are some, you know, actionable insights? What are some tips and tricks that you would suggest that they kind of think through as they're starting this journey beyond obviously calling vendor vendor neutral? Well, Well, they they need to first define their sales process. They need to understand um, each step of that process and that playbook. And then they just need to start to think about what technology actually is going to move the needle at each of those steps in the sales process. Sometimes if these organizations are are doing it right as it relates to communication and transparency across these cross-market, cross-sales and cross-operations, they are sharing the why, they're sharing the how, that sometimes doesn't align or they don't know what tech to, to select to, to move that needle for them. So marketing MarTech, there is a terrifying 9,000 plus solutions in the marketing. It's so funny and not to interrupt you, but it's so funny when you when you put side by side the MarTech landscape and the sales tech landscape and how MarTech just dwarfs sales tech. Because sales tech, to be honest with you, is relatively new in comparison to marketing technology. So I think that's why we're having a lot of these conversations on the sales side of the house, because a lot of these technologies are new. And marketing just looks at us like, we've been automating things and we've had platforms for years. <laughs> why, why is this such an issue? Why are you having these conversations? I can't imagine that you need to have 9,000 marketing technologies. You know, I think on the sales technology side, we're probably at about 1,200 if you include CRM, maybe 1,400 now. It's things have rapidly been increasing the last couple of years. But on the MarTech side, 
the insights are coming from everywhere because there's so many pieces of technology. So we have to be able to integrate the, that technology with our sales process. And more often than not, that mark tech can be more easily integrated into a CRM. So when that CRM is able to articulate or define that customer's life cycle, that customer's journey, another piece of sales tech which again, like I said, there's far fewer. And I think sales technology organizations realize they never wanted to want a, a tech stack of that size. So there, you see a lot more consolidation in the sales tech market. And I think you've seen that, especially over the last few years when it comes to sales enablement technology, sales engagement or prospect engagement technologies, you know, and they're now integrated into single platforms. You're even seeing data integrated into those platforms as well. A data platform, I won't call it any vendor names, but if you're able to integrate those solutions all into a single strategy, you're going to see a lot more success. You know, one of our clients, we were trying to help both sales marketing and operations to be successful. We were able to quickly identify something based on an incredibly large number of installed pieces of equipment. For decades, this company had been selling technology or, or, you know, pieces of machinery into organizations through a channel, right? And that channel was fabulous at selling the solutions. But the data that the company got back was a delivery address and sometimes a company name. That's really about it. So what we were able to identify uh, working with sales, marketing and operations was that data could would help actually enable them. So if we knew the location of the delivery, we knew the t company that was at that site, we could apply data and the roles that were common to their decision-making process, to their ICP, and we apply that information from the databases, from the data platforms, into their CRM, into their sales and marketing technology. And because of that, we could attribute these titles, the uh, company information, maybe if it had changed, we could you know, really start to qualify for service agreements, upsell, cross-sell opportunities, just so much opportunity. And I can tell you right now, that company within 60 days saw a $9 million increase in their revenue just from those abandoned contracts, those installed pieces of equipment. And I can tell you this as another statistic for that company in 18 months, it was $90 million in additional revenue just from that activity. So one proof of concept was we were able to scale. It's not about trying to do everything, not trying to boil the ocean. It's like, it's good to know what's in the ocean, but you don't want to boil it. And at the end of the day, you can just move the needle with one piece of data, one piece of information that can really make all the difference. Yeah. Well, Dan, as always, I learned so much from you. It was a great conversation. I think, you know, one of the, a couple of the things that stood out to me is, you know, kind of what we ended on here is that you can make small incremental changes that will have a very big impact to your organization and, and cost savings in many cases, because there's kind of this incessant, I'd say stealing of revenue or eating revenue by virtue that we have very inefficient systems. I also love the fact that we talked about this idea of like this audit between sales and marketing to, again, align those technologies, make sure that we're not having redundant systems that aren't getting us what, what we need. And then last but not least, one topic that I always love to talk about is uh, the importance of data. And it's a double-edged sword, right? We're getting so much more data from everywhere, but are we able to actually use that data and turn it into insights for us to make critical and smart business decisions? So. 
for those that want to get in contact with you or Vendor Neutral, how do we find you on, on social media? How do we learn more about this stuff from you? Give us all your, your credentials. Well, you can absolutely find Dan Silly in, on LinkedIn. I'm probably one and only. So it, it's easy to find me there. Uh, VendorNeutral.com, our website. And again, there's just a abundance of free resources. Go into our library of resources. Go into our sales technology selection resources. There's nothing there that's going to cost you a dime. Please leverage it. Uh, learn from it. Take advantage of the information. Our, our clients, when they're educated and aware, are far more successful than us coming in and telling them what to do from the get-go. So uh, very easily, you know, you can reach out to us at any point. We'd be happy to help answer any questions, but Vendor Neutral is here to help clear the fog surrounding the identification, the integration, the selection, and the adoption of these resources. Awesome. Yeah, definitely encourage everybody that's listening to the podcast to go ahead and take advantage of those resources. Again, they're free and informative and, and we'll continue the conversation. So Dan, again, thank you for your time and uh, good luck with everything. Thank you, Jeff. Great to be here and thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to the Rev Engine Podcast. I hope today's episode provided you with some actionable insights that will help you begin the process of transforming your organization to a high-performing revenue engine. If you found today's episode valuable, we ask that you support the show's growth in three ways. First, share the episode with your friends and colleagues. Second, follow me on social media at Meet Jeff Davis on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. And finally, give us feedback on who you'd like to see on the show next. That's all for this episode. We look forward to having you join us next time where we continue the conversation on how to build a high-performing revenue engine.